Welcome, esteemed listener, to the Video Game Hall of Fame. I am your host, Alex, and I have with me, as always, Simon Pike, Stephen Andrews, and Robert Kirkup. Welcome, everyone. How are we all doing? Hello, Mr. Allen. Very good, thank you. Hello. <laughs> Couldn't be better, mate. Couldn't be better. No. Excellent. We're in a state of flux, Alan, because the the last vote is ongoing. Oh, we are indeed in a state of flux. Although you have fluxed everything up by um, leaping into first place. Simpson Sit and Run currently at 31%. Goldeneye and South Park second jointly with 24 and Robocop with 21. This is very, very close. Yeah. So, uh, dear listener, you'll have to wait until the next podcast or just look at the Twitter to find out who wins that one. But uh, we're back in the swing of things now, I think. Now the um, Sega Force Mega is pretty much in the can for most of us. Yeah. We can, I can... Yeah. I had a massive backlog of podcasts to edit, including a three and a half hour one for when it was you, which I still haven't finished yet. So apologies to those of you who've been thirsty for more action, but we're back regular, hopefully. You've eaten your fibre then, have you? <laughs> yes, Good. indeed I have. Excellent. Are we going in order of presumably who's leading currently? Are we just- well, we can do that. Yeah, let's, let's do that then. So today on our podcast which is the thing that's in your ears. We are talking about 7 out of 10 games, underrated 7 out of 10s. How does... I'll do a bit of spiel first, and then I'll you know I'll ask the rest of the gang, how does everybody, and what does everybody feel a 7 out of 10 is? I would say it's typically like a game that's maybe almost great, something of a cult classic it does it may do lots of things well but it has a couple of flaws it may have a really good idea that's not quite implemented perfectly it might be a bit too weird or niche for broad appeal um they tend to have good points that i i would i would say you remember those like you go oh yeah yeah that game was really good like a good seven out of ten you largely gloss over the negatives when you think back about it even though you know they're there they're usually kind of linear, maybe short. They get in and out quite quickly. But they just have a certain feeling about them, right? There's like a charming imperfection about a, a really good 7 out of 10 that I think kind of makes it endearing. Where We are British and we do love an underdog story, so maybe there's that as well. But what does everybody else feel about the notion? Because it's quite a big thing these days, isn't it? Certainly on like YouTube videos and discourse around retro gaming, especially that a classic sort of 7 out of 10 is a desirable thing at the moment. Well, I, I think it changes on a game-to-game basis, you know, because sometimes I, I think a 7 out of 10 can be a a kind of generic game that doesn't do anything new, mm-hmm. but does everything well enough that it's not bad. So, you know, your, your yeah. kind of Ubisoft open world game might be a 7 out of 10 to some. Um, yeah. But yeah, on, on the other hand, it can be this kind of, this kind of flawed classic. Um, because every, every, you know... Apart from one game, which I'll bring up in the honourable mentions, everything I looked at, you know, I have to admit, yeah, there are there are flaws. But a lot of the time, especially for certain type of people, the the, the great things kind of overshadow the flaws and you can ignore them. So a good 7 Definitely. out of 10 will be in yeah. that kind of boat, the sort of things we're bringing up today, probably. Hopefully. For me, I think it depends on what era we're talking about. Because I'm very when I was looking at the games that, 
the many, many games that we've got to pick from, one thing that I was very aware of is that if a game launched broken or with flaws back in the old days, like if I think about a game like Fantasia, and I just haven't pre-planned this or anything, but if I think about Fantasia on the Mega Drive, which was one of the games that I got when it first came out, one of the immediate criticisms was that it was too difficult. Today, that could be patched. Some of those flaws could be fixed, but back then, if a game launched with a problem, that was it. But today, I think a lot of the games that launch as 7 out of 10s could end up becoming much better games. If you think about something like Cyberpunk, I know that isn't a, it has scored above um, 80% on Metacritic. But if we looked at what score that had when it launched, it would have been way down. Because mm. it was immediately hated because it had problems, but now it's it's been fixed and it's it's rightly regarded as being a a really good title. So I don't know. I mean, I think it depends on what game you look at. I think it's 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 really really difficult to pigeonhole these seven out of ten titles into a, a short snappy sentence to sum them all up. Yeah, I think they're definitely at least for me I would say they're definitely has it's it's easier to identify a seven out of ten from 3d gaming onwards than it is to do 16-bit backwards like if you if you're trying to think of the the 8-bit and 16-bit eras there there really wasn't as like much of a prevalence of seven out of tens there was either nines and tens or there was twos and threes because it was either like absolute shit or it was just a stone cold classic it feels like this sort of middle ground and even nowadays with you know the rise of indie games and stuff where games you can you get these shorter snappier less polished experiences but i think like from sort of ps2 era onwards you can definitely like pinpoint like that is a seven rather than a nine but yeah like mega drive games i I struggle to think of some that are just like good not great or not shit or as many anyway tasmania that's, to me, that's a four. Is it? Mostly for its, how nice it looks. Columns? I'd say that's just a five, though. It's so average. Super Monaco GP. Anyway, I'm going to finish shouting yeah, Mega sorry. Drive games at you. <laughs> for, for me, it kind of highlights the difference about how we view games, especially if we um, are on two different scales. So you think about a scale of one to ten that we're talking about things on now. That, to me, is wildly different how I think about games... Um, from the Mega Drive SNES era, and that's because all the magazines we used to read, by and large, did percentages. Yeah. Um, and because that was a lot more precise, you felt like all good games they were going to give like over 82. If you put a game in the 70s, it was going to feel bad. But because there's a lot more nuance, the difference between an 80 game, an 85 game, or 87 game, 88, 89, etc., that nuance. Uh, we need to represent slightly differently on a 1 to 10 scale. So I think that games that would have scaled between 80 and 90 now probably would be 7 out of 10s. It doesn't quite correlate, if that makes sense, because you need that little bit of nuance, because a 90-plus game was always really solid, but you get some get up to you know 96, 98, whatever. And we need a way to represent that a bit more on the scale. So it feels to me like the that it just gets slightly repurposed in that respect. Like, if you just said Columns 5 out of 10, there's no way magazines at the time would have given that 50-something percent because that would seem like an awful score. Very rarely did they give, mm. you know... And they gave real bad scores every now and again to just highlight how awful something was. 
But any game that's solid is going to get in the 70s. So I think that kind of middle ground has probably been shifted up, maybe. So what we would consider a 5 out of 10 would be in the 70s, if you're thinking of it in terms of percentage. Yeah, there's been a, there's been eras where outlets have really stopped using the whole of their scales. They they And you like you say, if something got 72... You know, I mean, IGN have fudged it because they've carried on doing effectively percentages just yeah. by doing point something. So if they gave something like a 7.3, everyone would think it was absolutely terrible. Whereas now I don't think that's necessarily how people feel about a seven. But there were times when anything under eight was just dog shit and no one touches it. Chuck Rock. I really didn't like the sequel to that. So I would probably say Chuck Rock again is like a four. Didn't you um, name it Son of Fox? This is great. Lightning Mega Drive reviews with Alex. Mostly fours so far. Street Racer. I don't know if I've played Street Racer. So you've busted me there. It's like a Mario Kart clone. And the the SNES version used Mode 7, so it was a Mario Kart clone. But the Xbox version didn't, obviously. Uh, So it it was kind of weird, but good. But good, weird, but good. Did you mean the Mega Drive version? What did I say? Xbox. (laughs) Did I say Xbox, did I? (laughs) Yeah, no no wonder Xbox are struggling if they've been trying to keep up with SNES. Well, well, the the Xbox Xbox can't do Mode 7, is what I heard, anyway. (laughs) Well, yeah, exactly. So Steve suggested we go in the order that we are currently at in the poll. So that is you first, Simon. With, as you are winning the poll, with a 7 out of 10 in The Simpsons Hit and Run. Well, that's the thing as well, because naturally if we're we're all kind of choosing our favorite seven out of ten we're not we're gonna disagree that it's a seven out of ten does that which is why we're going on yeah metacritic scores of anything under uh 80 which i mean a 79 is basically an eight but <laughs> yeah fuck it it's our show it is so the game i'm going for i've got a few honorables but we'll save those to the end but yeah the game i'm going for has actually come up recently in a few retrospectives from a couple of YouTubers I, I like. Um, so I've actually watched a couple of videos on it recently. And just to give you a little bit of clue as to what it might be, um, two videos I've watched recently about it, both of the people have said it's, have said, and I quote, it's their Final Fantasy Thirteen. Seven out of ten right there, isn't it? Final Fantasy Thirteen. Well, yeah, I know that one wasn't that highly regarded. Um <laughs> But I can't. I can't really comment on that. Not being like massively into the mainline Final Fantasy games, but yeah. I can comment. It's their Final Fantasy Thirteen. Hmm. I've played Final Fantasy Thirteen. What would you give it a score? Score wise, seven hmm. out of ten. <laughs> on the dot, seventy percent. If you want to do percentages, mm-hmm. it's fine. And it, it's it's a bit. It's become a bit of a. I mean, you've, we're going to say this all the time, cult classic. Um, it's, and it's it, a lot of people say that it's unfairly it? being looked at. Yeah, but it's got a, it's got like a, a real cult following. Um, but for me, it's just way too linear, and the characters and the story. Just I'm gonna, I'm, I might get hatred for this, but they're, they're just not as they're not Final Fantasy level. Anyway, sorry, this isn't what you were here to talk about. I just thought no, I'd that's fine, mate. It. I mean, there is there is actually good reason for people saying that uh, more than it's just an RPG in the same sort of era. Um, I was shocked that it was a 7 out of 10. Admittedly, a kind of high-end 7 out of 10, um, according to both the game rankings and Metacritic. Metacritic. Um, and I'm talking about the Xbox 360 JRPG called 
Lost Odyssey, mm-hmm. which is a seven out of ten. I cannot believe it. You know the, um, you know, I don't know if you guys have, have listened. This is a shameless pl- uh, plug, but the Winner Is You podcast that I'm on with David from Sega Force Mega, we often do a. Sh- um, a draft episode where we bring in KDB and we we pick games from a certain year and see who gets the best Metacritic score. I picked Lost Odyssey on the lo- the latest draft that we did and lost. I was winning in every single round. This was like round nine, and I lost the draft because it got what seventy eight. Yeah, it's about that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, but I had seen that game for, like in all of these, you know, Xbox three sixty hidden gems and all this kind of thing that you know people have been banging on about lost odyssey for ages i've got the game i haven't played it but i was so sure that because people were having this as you said there's discourse about it everywhere these days it's yeah quite talked about i thought well, this must be like 80 odd and then, yeah i was shocked as well and it lost me a draft win because of bit. its seven out of ten status yeah i feel like there's a good pick somewhere that will be unearthed without us realizing it was going to be that great and for me i'm going to have a little poke at see if I think I can unearth that with Lost Odyssey. Oh, okay. I know nothing about that game, I don't think. That is a game I, I wish you were into the JRPG genre enough for us to cover it on the pod, and if we had enough time in our lives to cover it, because it's <laughs> backwards compatible on Series X, all boosted and lovely, and supposedly very, very good from one of the Final Fantasy guys. A few minutes later. Right, Lost Odyssey for... Oh, Lost Odyssey, though. The gap at the top has dropped massively. That's a 78, boys. Well, well, well. Weakest pick so far. Six and a half hours later. Since 2004, I've basically been on a downward trajectory. I've lost my mojo. It's time for me. Fucking lost Odyssey, man. Time for me to call this back. Yeah, I was stunned. Uh, Well, I did, um, because we talked about doing this 7 out of 10 uh, category ages ago. And I did some research back mm. then and and somehow missed it. And then I had a look again when I knew it was coming up soon. And I saw it then and I was like, you what, mate? And then I had to check because I, I, um, I was on game rankings at the time. And I had to check Metacritic and I'm like, well, surely Metacritic, it's going to be yeah. different. But no, exactly the bloody scene. So yeah, Lost Odyssey was made by Mistwalker, which was headed up by... Hironibu Sakaguchi, right? The creator of Final Fantasy. That's his name, isn't it? Yes. And uh, the famed composer Nobu Uematsu, who is the Final Fan- m- much of the Final Fantasy music's com- music composer, right? He is, yeah. Yeah. So there is more to the my my Final Fantasy thirteen thing than mm. than meets the eye. And Lost Odyssey. It combines the vision of, you know, many of the minds behind Final Fantasy with Xbox's more kind of Western, adult-orientated, adult like grim, dark aesthetic, and um, and somehow it's created this wonderful game that's, it's kind of like Final Fantasy without all the emo teens and the androgynous, out, outrageous hairdo, pretty boys, <laughs> and and like the outfits that are made of fifteen belts. Like, all this stuff that kind of turns me off Final Fantasy a bit. And I'm not, like, dissing it. Yeah. But um, it it was kind of a Final Fantasy, but with a lot of that toned down. And with a bit of a, like, quite a grown-up story. So, 
in an era of action RPGs, it was a traditional, really traditional turn-based um, RPG. Um, had a little mm. bit of timed input going on uh, when you... So there's kind of rings that combine, and if you press the button when the rings... Exactly when the rings combine, you get a damage boost. Um, but otherwise, it's it's very traditional turn-based. <laughs> um, and the story is about a man called Kayim. Uh And at first, so he's your main protagonist. He's the kind of uh, blouncy-looking, long-haired fellow on the front cover that you all might have seen. Um, and at first, I didn't really like him. He was quite aloof, and he was quite... He was kind of like aloof, edgy, quiet but also happens to be an amazing swordsman. He's like a kind of power fantasy of like a angry teenager, you know? And I, I don't like those sort of characters. Mm-hmm. But after a while, he really opens up. Um, and you don't expect how he opens up as well, and he becomes this great character. Um, so just like the main guy from Planescape Torment, uh, Kaim is an immortal who's lost his memory. Um, but it's handled very differently. And the story of the game is basically exploring the world and finding other immortals who are in the kind of same situation. Um, and then un- they all kind of unlock their memories together. They all figure out they all know each other, blah, blah, blah. Um, and find out what they're doing there because it turns out they're from a different world where time flows differently, which is why they're kind of functionally immortal here. It's really well handled and it's got a really good ending. Um, in the final party... There are four immortal characters and five mortals. And as well as just being, you know, an interesting story mechanic, they had, it, the gameplay changes as well. Um, because mortal characters kind of learn abilities for their own classes. And the immortal characters can learn abilities from the mortal characters and end up being these kind of uh, jack-of-all-trades, um, which is not only an interesting gameplay mechanic, but it's quite thematic. Uh, the game can be really tough. So the first couple of bo- bosses are absolute bastards. Um, and then it settles into a more agreeable difficulty curve. But there are some spikes in it still, which I guess might have lost it one or two marks. Um, like the second boss, especially, it's this giant electric worm. And then when you kill it, another one shows up and you are, you are on your last legs killing it once. So it doesn't pull punches, especially early on. Um, in quite a few story segments, the party gets split as well. So you have to figure out how to use particular combinations of characters in different situations. One infamous bit where, because of a train crash, your party splits up and it's all their melee characters and then, then all the magic characters. And the magic characters have to fight a boss that's immune to magic. Um, so <clears throat> like the way I got through it was like the one who's slightly good at melee just everyone else is constantly buffing him so he can actually do some damage when he hits. And it's quite interesting. It, it's not fast-paced, and the only complaint I had personally is that the random bat- battles against random enemies can drag on. So even though you've fought these enemies hundreds of times before, they tend to show up in big groups. Even when you're against lower-level enemies, they can have like na- they can give you nasty status effects and you still kind of have to use the, the um, timed aspect. So... I guess it might have lost marks as well because the the battles can kind of drag on. And if you're exploring a massive dungeon, you can kind of forget where you are because of a long random battle. Um, and I did find that a bit, but that's that's my only personal complaint about it. Um, the, for the most part as well, the battle system is really good and it throws up some really like thoughtful challenges. Um, the story is its strongest point. 
<laughs> so there's some really emotional moments. Um, one of my favourite parts is um, the second immortal character you meet. She's called Seth, and she's like this um, this corsair uh, pirate, or she has been in a like before you find her. And she's one of the immortals, and she meets her son. Her son, um, after a long time of being apart, <clears throat> um, and she she kind of looks like she's in her late twenties. Um, and her son is this old, grizzled, like roguish, beardy fellow, and he's like the he serves the role as the party's like grumpy old man. Um, but then the first time he sees her, he sees her through this crowd, and the camera kind of zooms on on his face, and his face lights up, and he's like, "Mama." Um, and it's just a really beautiful moment because, you know, she's she looks really young and he's like this old fella. But, you know, they use the Immortals thing. And it's quite adult as well because I, I feel like in a lot of RPGs they wouldn't have party members having children because it makes them seem old and they want everyone to be really young for some reason. JRPGs, I mean. There's also these written interludes um, that are presented with, like, piano music and, like, beautiful images in the background. Um, and they're written by this this kind of I mean I'd never heard of him, so he's Japanese, but this kind of well known Japanese novelist. And they're re- they are really well written and well translated. Um they tell stories of Kaima's past. And they're mostly about him and they're quite like downbeat because they're mostly about him meeting people and like falling in love with them and then them dying and him having to move on. So it's quite like a, a heavy tone sometimes. But it is really well done. Um and then there are moments of levity to kind of bring you up again. Um, there's a character called Jansen, who's uh, he's like the the magic guy, and he's the first mortal character you recruit. And um, I remember reading at the time they gave the voice actor free reign to kind of ad lib a lot, and he's he ends up being this like hilarious character. Um, and he's kind of woman womanizing, but he's also really good hearted, and he's like this kind of idiot savant type character. Um, and he's a good foil for all the all the mopey immortals. Um, and another thing I really like about it because I really like JRPGs, but they they've always got similar problems. But because this one was made, you know, for Microsoft exclusively for the 360, um, the English voice acting was done first, and the lip syncing is done to the English voice acting, which actually oh, makes nice. a big difference. Just pulls the production values right up. Um, so yeah, Lost Odyssey. Uh, seven out of ten. I can't believe it. Um, <laughs> I would. I probably put it in my top twenty. It was one of the games. You know, I finished it. It came on like four discs. Um, and it's one I always wanted my wife to play and me to watch her, but she never got around to it. I don't know if she would like turn-based. Actually, come to think of it, but yeah, it's such a good, like adult, well presented, like great music because it's uh, Uematsu. Um just a really good rpg and i guess like i say the only things the only complaints i guess would be the difficulty spikes and the kind of the random battles that can drag on a bit and that's the only thing i can think of that it lost lost scores all i've seen when looking through the metacritic reviews is that people just keep saying it's it's old-fashioned or it's like an older style so one IGN said it wasn't as good as Mass Effect, which to me just seems like a really weird, pointless comparison. That's that's not not necessary. It is a weird comparison, and when you if you look at both mm. games now, the first Mass Effect does appear really clunky, yeah. whereas Lost yeah. Odyssey it's kind of turn based. It's 
there's a difference between old-fashioned and clunky and traditional. Lost Odyssey's just traditional. Because Mist mm. Walker also made yeah. Blue Dragon, which got similar complaints. Yes, I've seen lots of people say that it was miles better than that. It was better than these, these review snippets. Yeah, but that seems to be the mo- you know mostly what I've seen is just that it's people were saying oh it's not the most innovative or the most groundbreaking game. Yeah, bit of a throwback. It w- it was it was proudly traditional. It was it was um, I don't know it it was what it meant to be. Um, and I love you know I love a traditional RPG. There was a real down period for JRPGs, and this is probably in the midst of that. Yeah. So perhaps that didn't help it. And I guess, you know, the people saying, oh, it's my Final Fantasy Thirteen. Final Fantasy Thirteen is the one that went very linear, corridor, action-y, Western, didn't it? Yeah. Um, so mm. I guess it, it was the, the kind of medicine for that. Um, no, but it's really good, really, really well voice acted. Um, like the... At the time, because Final Fantasy was the biggest kind of budget JRPG series, and I never, like I say, I never could get into them. Um, so it was the first one with like really high production values that I played JRPG for for its time. Um, so it really, really resonated with me. It's really good, and of course, it's it's playable on uh, Series X. If anybody out there wants to give it a shot, it's fully backwards compatible on modern consoles. So. It's definitely that's worth where I'll it. be playing it. Yeah, it's time. Like people complain that it's it's old fashioned, but you know you could argue it's timeless. Just like Tony Storm, I assume nobody else here has played it. I well. haven't. No, Rob's never played an Xbox, so I haven't. Yeah, it's a lot of blank, lot of blank faces. I was hoping the only one I was hoping might have was was you, Alan. But, uh, yeah, I didn't think anyone <laughs> it's, else. It's would on have. my. It's in my backlog. It's on my shelf. It is there. Yeah. Like the baddie's a bit underwhelming, I guess the main bad guy, um, but in a way he mm. is quite funny as well. Like he looks like a total. It's so random because everyone else looks like cool, cool kind of medieval fantasy with a twist of steampunk, and then this guy just looks like a a gym jock who with like a goatee, and he he just seems a bit out of place. He, he's quite funny though. Gongora, his name is, and then. His motive, you know, his his story is pretty good, but he just looks and acts kind of weird, and not in a uh, like a Kefka way, in more of like a unintimidating way. But it's about the the party members and their relationships, anyway. Is it potentially um, a victim of its platform as well? Yeah, it maybe was on the wrong platform for the audience that it was probably shooting for. Clearly, it was Microsoft's attempt to bring them over, but if it comes out on PS3, I'd imagine it's not a seventy-eight. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what kind of reviews it got in Japan, actually. I didn't check what Famitsu gave mm. it and stuff. Mm. Um, it also did, because which, which uh, Call of Duty was it that had the funeral where you had to press F to pay respect? Oh, I can't, I can't remember. It's one of the Black Ops, I think. I'm trying to think if, because there's an there's a interactive funeral in it as well, where you have to press the button to wave the little... Wave the little uh, torch, <laughs> the, the the little lit torch, and like burn the little w- ribbons for there. And I was like, was it the first to do an interactive funeral, or did Call of Duty be to it? But yeah, it's it's better handled in Lost Odyssey. Let's put it that way. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know what it equates to, but for Mitsu, gave it thirty six out of forty, which I'm pretty sure is not a seven. No, that's very high. It's ninety percent in it. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, so. 
four people because four people give it a score, don't they? So four people would have had to have given it nine. So yeah, there you go. There you go. Uh-huh. But yeah, Lost Odyssey. Like I, I was gonna choose something else until I did, did this second run and I was like, I cannot believe it. And um <laughs> my my pal who listens to, to like I told him the other day that it's a, it's a seven out of ten, he couldn't believe it either. Um so I'm not alone. I'm not alone in being outraged. Hopefully it can get some uh, plaudits over here in the West by getting into the Hall of Fame, but we'll see. I'm not too confident, but I had to go for it. Well, like I said, it's not expensive. It's playable on your your modern Xbox, so people out there listening have definitely got no excuse if they want to try it. I'm pretty sure it might even be... You can still get it on the the Xbox store. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But that's me. Well... As I know what he's doing and we're joint second, I think I'm more than happy for Robbie to go next. It's my turn, is it? You definitely know what I'm going for. Well, if it's what you said earlier on. Yeah. So, I, I, I mean, anybody who's listening listened to the episodes back-to-back, like we know our good friend of the show, Slate, he has, will know that what game I'm picking. And I am going for a PlayStation exclusive that was released in 2019, came out on the PS4, um, later coming to to pc and i am going for days gone which is at 71 on metacritic that's that is crazy low i know it had a shit launch yeah which is probably why but that is so low it's lower than every single one of the 16 games i had on my list yeah it's the lowest of the games that i've got on my list of honorable mentions it's i've watched a few youtube videos today and i think a lot of it came down so it was it did launch with problems but they're all got resolved fairly quickly. And by the time I played it, I mean, I played through the entire game without an issue. Same. But I think as well, it was very unfairly reviewed. I watched a video this afternoon about a, a guy who has a YouTube channel on horror video games. And um, he picked up on IGN's criticism of the game because they absolutely slated it. And he went through all of the negative points that they had mentioned in the review and essentially debunked all of them bar one. So I I think I'm guessing Simon and Steve you've not played it. No, sorry. You should be playing it on your brand new PS5, Simon. It's definitely worth playing. Let us tell you why. It's got zombies in it, Rob. So I don't like it's, zombies. As far as those games go, it's a really really good zombie game. Like outside of Resident Evil, it's really it's like right up top tier zombie game. And <laughs> yeah, I mean it's open time. world as well, which is really unusual in a in a game of that nature. I mean, it was... It, so it's a action-adventure game, open world, as I say, and I think Sony expected it to be huge. Like, I remember going to the cinema and to, to see a film, I can't remember what it was, and it, the trailers came on and then an advert for this game came on, and even now, if you go back and watch the trailer on YouTube, it looks like it's going to be the best game ever. It, well, yeah, they played it up like that, and people therefore yeah. expected it to be... A 10 out of 10. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd love to see what kind of reviews it got if it launched without the bugs that it had. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's, I mean, I absolutely loved it. So, it, yeah, it's it's a post-apocalyptic Oregon. It's Oregon in the United States. And it's a really unusual setting for a game like that. Like, it's it's all snowy mountains and woodlands and trails. And... What What is quite interesting, and this is fairly common in a lot of games, is that a lot of the places in Oregon are in the game. 
some of the businesses have been renamed, but there's buildings where there's buildings. Like it's they've gone around and, and mapped out the state of Oregon. But you play a, a biker called Deacon St. John, who along with his good buddy Boozer, are surviving or attempting to survive in a world that only two years earlier saw a pandemic that in the, the classic trope um, turned a shed load of everyday people into brain-obsessed zombies called freakers. There's other types of zombies as well, so I don't think they're, they're called zombies in the game, but you've got swarmers, which are, are nocturnal. And the good thing about them is you can lure them to another like enemy and they'll fight each other and just leave you be. You've got newts who are infected um, like adolescents and, and kids. So that's their way of getting around the not allowed to hurt children in video games thing, isn't it? Yeah. By basically zombie babies. It's horrible. Yeah, zombie zombie children. And um, you've got infected animals as well. So there's wildlife in the game called runners and ragers, depending on what type of beast it is. And as you as the story unfolds, you find out that when the pandemic, pandemic begun, helicopters were ferrying people to safety. And Deacon St. John Boozer and his wife, Sarah, um, got to one of these helicopters, but there wasn't space for everybody. So he put, so Deacon St. John gave Sarah his, his, one of his biker rings and put her on the helicopter and told her that he'd meet up with her. But the camp that she was taken to was overrun and everybody was killed. So now Deacon and Boozer are out and about on the motorbikes. And really early on in the game, so I'm not spoiling anything by saying this, they're attacked by some cult lunatics called Rippers. Um, humans, not they haven't been turned into anything. They're just, as I say, lunatics. They're just playing a game of Mad Max. Yeah, exactly. And Boozer's arm's really badly burnt. It's a horrible scene. Um, so Deacon sets out to try and find some medical supplies to save him because he's it, like, it doesn't look good at all. And he has a chance encounter which leads him to believe that it's possible that maybe, just maybe, his wife is still alive. So the rest of the game revolves around you looking for confirmation one way or another, playing as Deacon St. John along with, with Boozer. And Boozer's story is really interesting. I mean, it's not, the, it's not the character you play as, but he, again, I mean, anybody who's going to play it who hasn't maybe played it, I'm not spoiling anything, I don't think, by saying this, because it is really early in the game, but Boozer loses his arm and... Um, his like his story like he spirals into all sorts of of depression and um like his story's really really interesting i think um to survive in this world of everything wanting to eat you or, or murder you it's essential to build trust with settlement camps and earn camp credits by completing missions and completing bounties and that allows you to build better weapons and and i haven't mentioned this yet parts for your motorbike so what is really unusual about about this is that not only is it an open world game which is really unusual for a, a zombie type game but you get around on a motorbike and you have to do things like you have to stop and fill your motorbike up with fuel which some people love and some people hate i mean i, I suppose it was toned down in one of the patches wasn't it, it was yeah bad, it was very it was bad at the start but yeah it's when i played it i didn't find it an issue yeah, because it, it was one of the criticisms of the game. Because, I mean, if you're playing Grand Theft Auto, you don't want to have to keep stopping and topping up your stolen Ferrari with unleaded while you're <laughs> trying to escape from the coughs. Yeah. Um, but it does add a, a level of, of strategy to the game because you need to factor in. Like, if you're going from point A to point B and you can't fast travel, because you can only fast travel between points if you've cleared out, um, like, camps and stuff between them, then you need to 
make sure you've got the fuel to get there because otherwise you could end up in a situation where you run out of fuel and you're surrounded by enemies. Um, but you can buy better parts for your motorbike to make it faster, less prone to damage because you need to repair it with, with scrap and get you further without needing to fill it up with fuel. You can also change the way it looks, but obviously that's a purely cosmetic thing. There's all sorts of cool side missions, um, typical to the type of open world game like clearing out nests, rescuing hostages, clearing out enemy camps, um, capturing target, bounty targets, stuff like that. And you can level up, and as you level up you can then unlock new abilities, making Deacon better at using things like um, ranged weapons and melee weapons and also enhances chance of survivals, uh, surviving in the in the world. And there's all sorts of, of weapons in the game, pistols, shotguns, sniper rifles, crossbows, submachine guns, and things like proximity mines, grenades, and you can craft Molotov cocktails as well. The game plays really well. Um, I, I mean, Alex, I don't know what correct is if you don't feel the same way, but I, f- I just found it was fun. That's the word I would use to sum it up. From start to finish, I had a, a really good time in this world. Um, the story itself is 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 really really solid, and it does have its fair share of twists and turns to keep it interesting. And there are some really good character moments, as I say, especially Boozer. But it is um, fairly standard. It's it's I, I, I don't think it's the biggest strength of the game. The voice acting is is really good as well, and the soundtrack. I think the soundtrack's overlooked because the game is overlooked. And I, I mean, last week when we were talking about our favourites, uh, or last episode when we were talking about our favourite soundtracks, nobody suggested a game that is a 7 out of 10, I don't think. Normally with something like a sound, it's a bit like music. Like I think a lot of it's tied to special games that mean a lot to you. Same as like people have songs that mean a lot to them, they hear it and it reminds them of a certain time. I think the soundtrack is overlooked because a lot of people haven't played the game because it was reviewed so badly. But the soundtrack's by Nathan Whitehead, and it took two years to compose. And it's, it's even if you don't play the game, go and listen to the soundtrack. It's, um, it's totally underrated. It's brilliant. I don't really remember it. Yeah, it's, 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 it's that. That's it. I think a lot of people just forgot it. Um, mm. I think the game looks really good. Mm-hmm. And the hordes are epic. I was going to say, you definitely underplayed the clearing out nests part earlier, which is easily the best bit of the game, yeah. Yeah, uh, I was I was saving, saving hordes. So there's one horde you need to complete as part of the story, but there's other hordes that you can go and talk, take on. And when I'm talking about hordes, these are nests of... Am I exaggerating by saying thousands of zombies? Maybe not. Maybe a little close to it, but you're talking, you are talking many hundreds. Oh, so many, and you've got a... Like in the, the, the one that you play through, that you've got to complete as part of the game, it's in a sawmill. Saw yeah, that's really yeah. hard, that one. Oh, yeah. like I, I spent a day on it because like it was a lot of trial and error. Like I'd set up traps and I'd think, right, I'm going to lure yeah. them this way. Yeah, yeah. Um, and if that didn't work, then I'd say, right, okay, I'm going to try something different. But you've got to clear out, as Alex said, many hundreds. Like even if you don't play the game, go and have a look at, go and put mm-hmm. um, Days Gone Horde into YouTube. It's exhilarating. It is exhilarating. That's the word I was terrifying. It's stressful. And when you do it, it's so satisfying. Because there's no easy way to do it. This isn't you against one zombie. These are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of zombies that run as fast as you can, desperate to kill you, if they see you. 
It's so, so good. I think the game's become a cult classic. And if you go on Twitter, um, if you go on YouTube and put in something like um, Days Gone Revisited or, or something along those lines, a lot of people now are coming around to the fact that this isn't a 7, or seven out of 10 game. This is a much better game than everybody gave it credit for when it launched. And a lot of people immediately overlooked it because it, it launched with some problems. And because a lot of the bigger review sites like IGN reviewed it quite badly. But anybody who gives it time will thoroughly enjoy it. I nearly said love, but they will thoroughly enjoy this game. I do think that even in the, like, I know we're talking about games, like we might be talking about games now that came out a few years ago. And the problem is with the amount of top-notch games coming out these days, it's really, like, it's easy to say, I'll stick it on the list or I'll put it in the backlog and then never play it. Because there's always going to be something new and shinier coming out that gets your attention. Days Gone is worth playing. It's it's I, I'm there should be a sequel, but there's never going to be a sequel. Yeah. Sadly, Ben Studio um, I think started working on a on a sequel, but now it's it's just never going to happen. But I had a wonderful time with Days Gone. I know that it reviewed quite badly and I didn't have particularly high expectations going into it. It exceeded everything that I wanted from the game and more. As as far as open world zombie games go, you, you, you can't beat this. It's it's funny that you said, you know, that it should be more than a seven, which, you know, I I chose this category, I think, when we did the, the last mop-up when we were picking all of these and I, I chose it because of my sort of fondness for what a seven out of ten represents and for me, this is still definitely a seven out of ten, um, because the good parts of it, like the the hordes and the the shooting and the riding on your bike and stuff, are really really enjoyable. Um, I personally think the story is awful, and I really hate Deacon. I think he's one of the worst. You don't like Deacon? He's a complete douchebag, and he's not a biker either, because he's 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 like a a pretty. I mean, they do call him like pretty boy and stuff a lot, but he's. Um, He's just not, he's nothing like a biker. He's more like a jock on a bike. And there, I mean, we did a whole podcast on a winner you about this and him I listen and his to relationship us. with his wife and yeah, how yeah, he, he just seems to get annoyed by everything that anyone asks him to do anything. He's always annoyed by it. There was a weird thing with the missions where um, I could never get missions to pop up. I would sit in a camp next to the person who was going to give me a mission and they wouldn't give me it until I drove halfway out of the camp and then they would call me and I'd have to come straight back to where I just was. And um, yeah, the, the the whole thing with his wife, that I thought the payoff to that was incredibly weak. But as I said at the beginning, 7 out of 10, it's a game that has flaws that are good enough that you overlook. Sorry, yeah, it has highs that are good enough that you overlook its flaws. Days Gone is definitely one of those games. Like, if don't go into it expecting us. I mean, Rob didn't, you know, Rob didn't say the story was, you know, a work of art anyway. He said it was, you know, fine. Um, I liked it. There are some side characters. There are some side characters that, that I do like, and I do like Boozer. Um, Boozer's the star of the show for me. Yeah, he is. He is the star of the show. If it was a more likable lead character in it, then I think. Alexa, shut up. <laughs> Sorry. If if there was yeah, if there's a more likable lead character in this, then yeah, it, it's an eight or a nine for me. But um, that's the that's the only flaw that I had. That and you know a couple of weird quirks. Yeah. But the 
basic act of playing the game, driving around on your bike, shooting the zombies, hitting them, going down to the nests, burning them out. Just great. Never got old. Like, really yeah, enjoyed the gameplay it. loop. It was really, really fun. And as There's a bit in the story right at the end as well, which I really bought into. Uh, I can't say what it is because there might be people listening who think, you know what, I will go and give it a go. Yeah. There's a lot of people who probably own it. Like, if they, if you bought the PS5 and it's too late for you, um, is it? I think it's, it's too, too late, late yeah, for, it's, it's too late for you, Simon. But, yeah, it was on the PlayStation Plus collection, so if you added it to your library when you got a PS5 prior to, what, May last year or something, then you probably already own it. Mm. It's a, it's and it's not expensive to buy on PS4, yeah. and I think it's a free PS5 upgrade. But I um, there's a bit right at the end where you think something's happened, and it really got me. Like I was like, oh no! So I I really enjoyed it. I think it ended on a bit of a cliffhanger because I think they were always planning on a sequel. Mm. But it's a sequel that we'll never get. Well, we might get it, but it seems very, very, very unlikely. Yeah. But yeah, that's me. Good shout. For me, that is that is like quintessential 7 out of 10 in a good way as is my game which as I said to Rob earlier on uh, he should already know what it is did you understand I said you needed to think about it did you understand where I was going at no okay no I know I know what I know what system it's on but I don't know what game it is what system is it on is it not PS1 oh no that's I can't do that one so alright okay the one well to to go a bit more into what what I said right at the beginning before Simon went about how we're talking about this is the Metacritic score under eighty. Simon also shared with us this link to the archive of game rankings. So the one of the games I was seriously considering on game rankings was in the seventies, but when I looked on Metacritic, which I'm assuming is where ninety nine percent of the listeners are going to go look if they wanted to check it up, is eighty one. And that game is Parasite Eve, which I absolutely love. And if Simon, if you've not played Parasite Eve, you need to, because you love JRPGs. It's a survival horror JRPG. It's the one that starts off in an opera house. Yeah, yeah, isn't it? yeah. yeah and it's based off some like fucking crazy science book by a Japanese author. So the story is out there. Um, I absolutely love that game. I almost picked Parasite Eve too. Have you played that? You know when I said I was looking at a PS1 game? Yeah. I considered going for Parasite Eve Have 2. you played it then? Is it good? Yeah, yeah, it's really good. 79 on Metacritic for some apparently reason. Apparently that one went more just straight up like a Resi clone, whereas the first yeah, one yeah. was actually... Yeah, I really based. enjoyed it. I think they're, yeah, they're great. Isn't there a PSP game called The Third Birthday that's the third or something one. that's related to it? Yeah, something like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so that, that would have maybe been my pick, but... I don't. It's eighty-one on Metacritic, so I don't. I don't want to pick that for that reason. Imagine so, if you'd gone Parasite Eve, and I'd gone Parasite Eve too. Jesus Christ! So for Sega Force Mega, there is a piece that Rob and I both had to write for, and my pick is actually in that piece that's coming up in issue two, um, which you should be able to look, go out and buy as we uh, as you listen to this. So I even think I even wrote in my blurb for this entry a quintessential 7 out of 10. So that game is a Sega game. Uh, it was developed by Ryuga Gotoku Studios. It's not Yakuza. <laughs> it's Binary Domain on the Xbox 360. Um, uh. It has a 74 on Metacritic. Uh, I, I took some choice quotes, which to me sum up exactly, again, 
what people talk about when they sit when we say seven out of ten we've got some of the quotes here Eurogamer said a game a few degrees short of greatness an intense and hectic romp that needs that final level of polish to compete with the very best Games Radar said this aimed for vanquish and missed but in doing so it at least made a decent Terminator game that's better than that's better than any actual licensed Terminator game and Game Informer said I enjoyed my time with the game and I can see it grabbing a rabid cult audience hello I'd recommend it to anyone who can relax their expectations a bit. The more you're able to focus on where it succeeds and look past its obvious failings, the better. That is all like bog standard seven out of ten descriptors there. So this is a this is a third person shooter. Like I say, it's from the Yakuza guys. It was uh, so it came out on PS3 and Xbox 360 in February 2012. Um, apparently in North America, so fe- from February to april it only sold twenty thousand copies so it did you know it, it nobody bought this game it's a third person shooter but you're you're basically shooting almost entirely robots the 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 backstory of the game is that there was global warming it caused like worldwide flooding and most of the world was uninhabitable so governments then built all these cities above the waterline and then on the foundations of everything that's basically been flooded below because most of humanity died during this global crisis, they they use robots as the the labor force for it. These were create well, they were created by a Japanese company called Amada or Amada. I can't remember how you say it. And they are, but they are currently where we are in the game in 2080. I think created mostly by a com- American company called Bergen or Bergen. They um, so Armada like were the first company to actually create a humanoid robot. They tried to sue the American one because they had so many more, but they failed. So Bergen is in control of robot production for like ninety five percent of the market. Um, they also had this thing that they created called the New Geneva Convention, and it had a clause in it which basically banned research into robots that could pass uh, for, pass for humans. They're called hollow children. So most of the world agreed to this and they signed it into law. And then there was an organization that was created called the International Robotics Technology Association, which polices that basically. They have like a they're called Rust Crews. They go and try and find breaches. They they they're seeking out robots passing for humans. Um so the game starts where the an android attacks the headquarters of Bergen in Detroit. Um, he had no idea he was a robot. Now, we had a lot of discussion on the Winner Is You podcast we did about this. Of We assume that these were created recently and then have been given full memories, full fake memories of being human. They have not been born <laughs> as a robot and then grown up into a robot human because there are a lot of scenarios in this game that I love where a robot will suddenly realize he's a robot and not human anymore because like he'll have a bit of his cheek come off and it'll be like fucking robotics under there and he'll freak out because he's a robot so i assume like that wouldn't work if you were a child and you never fell over and skinned your knee because you'd find out when you were like seven so yeah these were probably recently created but it goes in mad places like there's a there's a woman who there's a woman robot that gives birth to a human man's baby. She's one of the characters. She's like a half robot, half human, which is typical like Nagoshi, the Yakuza director's bullshit. So there, there is a massive elements of like nonsense of that in there. But yeah, 
basically you're in this rust crew you're heading off to 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 japan because everybody assumes that uh yoji amada the head of the amada corporation has been the one to send this android to bergen to attack them because obviously he's pissed off that he's got such a small market share and even though he's the one who patented these hollow children so most of the game like i say you are shooting gears of war style these robots but the cool thing about that is that you are disintegrating them they have they got some sort of like exoskeleton parts but you can shoot that away and it will pieces will go flying everywhere it looked like someone's just chucked a box of lego across the screen in most of the fights um if you play it now it's it's uh you can play it on modern xboxes it's been given a 60 fps frame boost it's in 4k so I don't remember how well this ran on 360. I can imagine like shit because of how much stuff is going on, but it runs perfectly nowadays. But you can obviously target different parts of these robots. You can shoot their arms off so that they drop their guns and can't shoot at you anymore. You can shoot their legs off and they will then continue to crawl along the floor at you, shooting you with one arm. If you shoot them in the head, it fries their circuitry and they get confused and will start attacking their, you know, their allies instead of you. The thing that I think dropped it down to a 7 out of 10 for a lot of the reviewers that I've seen in the comments or the the you know the review snippets is that it tried to do this wacky idea of uh, it was a mix between it has this like consequence system where you are you're frequently in a team of 3 you'll have two teammates alongside you um usually it's your friend well you can pick who they are but it, you start off mostly with this guy called Bo who's this like big African-American guy who's wisecracking and like, but also has a heart of gold kind of guy. The main character in this much like days gone is a bit of a douchebag, bit of a dude, bro. So he's quite annoying, but the side characters around him are really good. But this consequences system tried to give them like human reactions and behaviors, which is kind of ironic considering what the actual story of the game is. Um, So if you could like, it had this consequences system and it mixed it with voice commands that you would use with your actual voice through a headset. You can use buttons, but they wanted you to use your headset and talk to your teammates. So they would ask you to do something, but you could shout at them. You could tell them, no, fuck off or shut up or go away. And it would have like a sort of a relationship status and they would get upset with you if you continually didn't do what they asked for. If you didn't give them back up when they asked for it. Or if you shoot them by accident, they'll have a go at you and tell you off. And you can, you know, they will ask, like I say, they ask you questions or what to do and you can just straight out ignore them. If you don't say any words and just ignore them, again, your relationship with them goes down. If it goes up, I think they would like revive you quicker. They probably give you more covering fire, stuff like that. So the voice commands with your, with your actual voice, completely broken, just worked terribly. It, and the whole, the whole, idea of that is quite annoying after a while that you have to continually get in these scenarios where someone's asking you a question and you have to pick an answer or ignore them the consequences system i think was a cool idea um but it made because everything is so frantic on screen and everything's like flying everywhere it's quite easy to accidentally shoot your teammates so it would get really annoying if you're trying to max out a relationship with somebody and you kept accidentally shooting them in the arsehole so yeah that was a cool idea, badly implemented. Or maybe an idea that shouldn't really be implemented in this kind of a game. I don't know. It was funny, though. But, uh, yeah, the story, as typically with RGG Studio, really, really good. Um, as I said, has some has some nonsense baked in there, you know, because it's dealing with things like androids and humans and them mixing together. But 
gets gritty, gets serious when it needs to. The writing of the characters can be quite ropey. Some of them may not necessarily hold up perfectly well because they're supposedly Westerners being written by Japanese people. There's a one of your companions can be a, a French robot who is quite the stereotype. He's, he's very, very likable. And I found him very enjoyable to have as my companion, but he will say sacre bleu a lot and things like that. So uh, if you're French, perhaps go in there with uh, tempered expectations to be insulted. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It's like about 12 hours long, just gets in, gets out, as I said at the beginning. You can, you know, there's lots of customization and upgrading you can do with you and your teammates as you go along. But it does one thing and it does it really well, and that's just shooting robots. And there's some cool set pieces in there, there's some cool weaponry. But like, there's no games that really seem to do anything like this anymore. Like, kind of moral grey area of androids, and then like taking apart limbs of enemies that can keep coming at you. They're relentless. They don't bleed. They don't eat. They don't sleep. This kind of thing. So, um, definitely deserves it seven out of ten because it has got problems. But if you want a short game with a great story that will make you laugh and make you shocked, and some really solid shooting with a interesting twist on like the gears of war style really really great like surprisingly solid considering this was basically a japanese studio trying to copy gears of war they did it really well but they did it in a way that wasn't just a carbon copy it was it was weird and wacky and japanese in its own ways and i absolutely love it there was a there was another japanese copy of gears of war wasn't there that was awful is it called quantum there's a capcom game it wasn't quantum break <laughs> was it quantum shift dark void Dark Void. Dark Void was the jetpack one. It was. It was. There yes. was a game. It was. I. I. I want to say it was either Tecmo or Konami, and it was a blatant Gears ripoff. It was called Quantum Something, and it was awful. But okay. yeah, this one obviously a lot better. Binary Domain. I always get it confused with a, a game that came out in a similar in the same era called Mind Jack. Okay. Um, for some reason, I don't know why. <laughs> oh yeah, who made that? Square Enix. What's that? Mind Mind Jack. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think it had a similar kind of um, artificial intelligence thing going on. Yeah, that that is not a 7 out of 10 on Metacritic. It is a yeah. 4. <laughs> <laughs> I would love them to make another one of these, by the way, as, as I wrote in the magazine. But the fact we only ever got one, and now, you know, Nagoshi's left Sega. Oh, you know, Ryu Gagatoko is still putting out banging Yakuza games, so they, they could still do this. But I don't think, if you're not even... if even Microsoft aren't making Gears games, then I guess we're not going to get the Gears copies anymore, which is a shame. Well, until they go to PlayStation, apparently. Am I the only one that's played it? I think I must be. I have not. I think I said that when you were writing the article, and mm. I had not played it. I literally found out about it uh, this morning, about three o'clock, when I was reading your article and uploading it. <laughs> <laughs> I just love it. I, it's like I say, it's just so quick and easy to dive into and playable and upgraded now like i say on modern consoles to run at 60 fps 4k no excuse it must be cheap as hell deserved cult classic uh, i just i i had a look on ebay while you were talking at it seems to go for about a tenner let's have a look on cex lost odyssey at the moment i know it's not going to work for the recording when it goes up but that's like six pound fifty on the xbox store binary domains three pound at cex on the xbox oh, well. 360 be stupid not to Six quid on the PlayStation 3. Yeah. And that version's not been updated, so that's not worth having, which is weird. Why Why that's more expensive when it doesn't have a modern backwards compatibility? 
It's done a Probably better console. Steam, Lost Odyssey's £4. It's CEX for anybody who wants to pick That's that up. That's it. Oh, there we go. I'll tell you how much Days Gone is. I might as well do the lot. Yeah. Days Gone's um, £12. Yeah, Lost Odyssey for four pound is incredible. I mean, that's that's madness, yeah. isn't it? Again, both of the games that um, Simon and I have picked, you can stick in your Xbox. Do it, Stevo. Hello. No idea what you're going to go for here, sir. No. No. Idea well, you find- it's going to be like an Atari twenty six hundred game or something. No, because you won't find any of them on Metacritic. This is the. Well, you've got that other link that Simon sent out. Yeah, I see. Okay, so. Obviously, we, we need to be able to verify what a 7 out of 10 is. I can't just go something that's blatantly a, a, a wonderful uh, you know, 9 out of 10 game and try and get away with it. So um, uh, Simon sent us the link to Game Rankings, which is uh, GameRankings.com, um, which has got loads of score archives on there. But I was looking through it, and I really don't think that we can we can trust some of these. A lot of these have only got one person's review on there. Yeah. Um, there's, 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 there's some which have more, but there's some things which are blatantly wrong. If I were to go on that one, for example, these are the um, these are the games I'll be able to pick um, for... Uh, this is just for Mega Drive. So uh, what I've currently got uh, being voted for, Robocop versus Terminator, I've got... Which is no by no means a 7 nah, out of 10 game. That's bullshit. Dynamite Heady is a 9 out of 10 every day of the week. Streets yeah, I could believe it when I saw that. Yeah, crazy. Streets of Rage. Streets uh, of Rage. Streets of Rage. Earthworm Jim Two, and what? the and the original FIFA. Which, whether you're a fan of it or not, it was something that was quite epic making at the time. So I just thought there's no way that I can legitimately go for anything off of that because I'm just going to be picking a game that I love and is not a seven out of ten, and then we're just kind of joking ourselves mm. that way. So I thought, and if there's anything that's only got one vote. Let's say that's a 10 out of 10 vote. I mean, could you not just create a count vote at 2 out of 10 and then knock it down to 7 out of 10 anyway? And then <laughs> exactly, exactly, which is why I'm kind of saying that I probably legitimately shouldn't shouldn't do that. It's not votes, is it? It's, it they've taken it off some review somewhere. Uh, Unless you're looking at the yeah, user. Is, Unless a, there is a user average as well. No, there's there's there's, there's two scores, but um, both all yeah, the things... Yeah, I like, don't understand those two scores. What, what's one of them called? It's got a weird name, isn't it? Uh, Biocene AVG. And one's GR score. Yeah. Oh, by by easy and average. But yeah, by easy and is it? It's written so small. I've got it on my big screen. I can't. Actually. I think that's something. By, I don't know what by easy means. and average. I think that's something okay. to do where it gives. What is by easy and is that? A... It gives more weight to the bigger. So it's Metacritic again, then. Yeah, maybe I don't know. The bigger the outlet, the the more weight that their score carries. I don't know. But a Mega Drive game you missed in that list, Steve, was Quackshot, which is also a 7 out of 10 according to Game Rankings, which can, which can get in the bin, directly in the bin. <laughs> I think I said last last episode, Super Punch-Out had a 7 on there, which is yeah. absolutely nonsense as well. game's incredible. So I, I really, all those ones I listed both had um, were at 7 out of 10 on both of those metrics as well, by the way. So regardless of which one I'm talking about. So it's... You know, it's just ridiculous. I thought I can't go for that, so I'm going to have to go for something that can be verified by Metacritic to just make it easier. I spent far longer on this than I should have done, to be perfectly honest with you. Um, I've been so. The first thing I did was I. I know it's not very good. It has got game scores um, like sort of before PS2 era, but it is uh, few and far between. Um, so I first looked at just filtering it from anything from 2000. Well, actually, no, sorry, big pun. I looked at Dreamcast first of all. Um, uh, but I found that the problem with the Dreamcast is it's got so many good games that are like eights out of tens and more. Almost everything I owned and played 
was in that bracket or it wasn't good. You know, most of the game is like you said, um, Alex, earlier about when it moved into the 3D world being e- e- easier to discern those games that are like, yeah, really solid and games that are just like, you know, they're nowhere near too janky or whatever. But um, yeah, so nothing on there really. All the games that I would have considered voting for were all way scored way, way above. So then I look because yeah, we have we have so much access to games now, right? You can, you know, if you look at things like Steam and Game Pass, like you've got massive libraries available to you right now but when we were younger we were using like fucking pocket money so of yeah. course you're going to look for what magazines give nines to and buy those for your or get those for your birthday you're yeah. not going to get a seven out of ten when you're only going to get three games a year well this is this is also kind of more i, I find that i i mean i i still play games quite a lot but i don't play i like to go back to what I, i'm comfortable with i i don't have a massive library there's a few games i pick up regularly and the new games that I try are games that are really good, you know, because I've been uh, I've I've looked at it and thought, well, that's an incredible game. I've got to try that. One. So pretty much everything that I try now is going to be more than a seven. I don't have mm. time these days to, to faff around with the seven. So it's almost like you described that, but it's for but it's for for other reasons now. It's because I'm an adult and I can only put so many hours into it a, a day. <laughs> well, you know? yeah, there's that too. Yeah. Um. So. I mean, I actually did look out of interest. Metacritic has only got 30 games that I could count that are pre-millennium. So... Oh, right. <laughs> Parasite Eve being one of them and its sequel. That jokered me. So I don't... I did actually start looking at some individually. It doesn't actually appear on the list. There is be some that do have a ranking. Maybe they don't appear on the mm. general list because it's not got enough votes or something. I'm not quite sure how it worked. But anyway, yeah, so I, I, I looked at everything pre-2002 because that's when I... That was when I was most active, um, just to see what came up there. And I'll give you a list of some of the things that came out. So first thing that struck me, so going um, from lowest to highest, I think more or less, uh, Evil Dead, Hail to the King was, was there. Is that on uh, PS1? That was, uh, I, I played it on Dreamcast, but I think it did come to PS, PS1 okay. as well. There's never been a good Evil Dead game, has it's there? Shit. I've got loads of them. I've got loads of them. I've got the, what's the one on... Oh, Hail to the King. Maybe that's the one I've got on Xbox. I've got Fistful of Boomstick as well, which I think is on PS1, which is fucking terrible. I think I think that might be the second. I think Hail to the King was first, but I might be wrong. Oh, okay. Um, well, not the first, because I was going back to like the ZX Spectrum and what have you. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah. Um, but like the first of the of the modern era, if you like. Um, I was looking forward to that game so much, because um, I was a massive Evil Dead fan, but even I Rightly couldn't get so. into it. Uh, then I saw pop up Ferrari F55F. 355 challenge and i was like oh that's a pretty good game but then i'm looking at that and i'm thinking that's ps2 and then i looked at it on the dreamcast because of course it supports and it's much higher on the dreamcast so uh, okay that that's been an issue i saw a few times as well yeah i thought you, I, for, I, I self-imposed a rule on myself which is i can only really go for one which is uh scoring that when it originally came out because otherwise i can put things like soul caliber on there because that's on the xbox arcade now on dreamcast that's the highest ranking game it's like 98 i thought i think it's the mm. second highest ranking game of all time yeah, yeah yeah so i think if i went to go and try and put squeeze skull caliber on there from the xbox arcade i'd be you know running into some legitimacy problems there so looney tunes racing is one i picked out but again that was ps1 and i only played on the dreamcast it was ranked a bit higher did you bring that up last episode as well? You did, didn't you? I did, yeah. And Wacky Races, yeah. yeah. And Wacky Races, yeah. Yeah, I thought so. One did pique my interest, which was Toe Jam and L3, mm. um, which was an enjoyable game. 
I think if it originally came out on the Dreamcast like it was intended, a bit like maybe a year or two two before, it might have been a bit better. Um, at least it felt like it's on its natural home. But I mean, as as I'm pretty sure we've we've discussed in the podcast before, but I'm a massive Toe Jam and Elf uh, fan, and I desperately want to get that into the Hall of Fame. Uh, I did interview the the creator um, Greg Johnson for our previous mag Sega Mania, and he's an amazing guy. But Toe Jam and Elf three, it just I don't feel right getting it in there if unless like that's further down the road. <laughs> you know, if we're still doing this in twenty years' time, and I find a way to, but <laughs> I haven't even got Toe Jam and Earl in there yet. You know, and. I don't know if I'd rank it in my top three favourite Toe Jam and Earl games, so it, I just thought, no, be true to yourself. Earthworm Jim popped up, and that was uh, that was Game Boy Advance, so that's a no-go. Sonic Adv- Adventure 2, um, uh, but that was the GameCube version. The Dreamcast version scores much higher. And even if I was, um, I did consider putting it in just because of the conversations we've had it, uh, about it, Alex. And... Um, uh, and also the article that you wrote for the for the magazine where you talk about how um Nintendo were being uh, fanboys and and you know voting it down um when it mm. when it was ported across Headhunter was quite interesting uh did anyone play that I remember liking I, that back I, in I the own day. that I haven't played it but yeah that's another one people keep saying is a is a hidden gem on the on the Yeah I, I think I could legitimately have gone for that I remember enjoying it a lot but it's so long since I played it that I I was like I I can't go for it because I don't remember enough about it and I might go back to it and then go no that's just roast tented spectacles you know yeah um and the last two that on that list were ready to rumble boxing round two that's, is that the one with Michael Jackson in it I can't remember if Michael Jackson I only had the first one I played the second one mm. a few times it's very very similar yeah it's um, very very similar yeah which explains its relatively low score. And uh, lastly was Tomb Raider 3. So on the I PS1? Really was, uh, on the uh, PS1, yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I got a little bit stuck there. I found also I, I started doing a little bit of a, a different search. I managed to find Resident Evil 2 at 77%, but that was the Dreamcast version and not the uh, PS1. So which, is, which is bullshit, right? Because that's the best version of the game. Yeah. By far. Yeah. Maybe the GameCube one, but it's, yeah, but still, it's better than the PlayStation version. But I couldn't honestly think. Did you get Resident Evil Two in already? I know you nominated it, didn't you? Yeah, it's in. Did you get yeah. it in? It is yeah. in. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah. out. I played it. I played it first on Dreamcast. And something I've already nominated, which was Zombie Revenge. Yeah, there you go. Uh, which got pathetic about got a paltry sixty. Um, so literally, as we've have we been sat here, I've carried on doing it because I've been doing this for hours. I'm sure there's a much more easier way to to live your life. So, okay, I, I three things that popped up just now while we were um, uh, while we've been recording, and I've been beavering away. Dead Rising Two for the Xbox 360 was one. That, uh, yeah, um, I'm very surprised that 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 has. A score in the seventies, seventy nine, like, isn't for it? Me, way better than the original. Seventy nine, that's yeah, right. Yeah. I, I and we're going it. anything below eighty, aren't we? Yeah, I love, yeah. I love Dead Rising. I, I looked at that. So these, I've got a short list here. So Dead Rising two, and these, all, these three things that I found now, I think I'm going to go for over everything that I seem to, have, everything I've almost talked myself into before. I've talked myself out of since. Um, <laughs> actually, sorry, begging you. It's, 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 it's short list of two because the, the second, sorry, because the second one I was going to mention was Mirror's Edge. And okay. I, what really annoyed, I've had this game on my shelf 
right next to my Xbox for probably about five years. Going to give that, going to give that a go sometime. It has not gone in once, and it's just, and I don't have a massive like library of games that I'm. I know I'm not one of those guys like you see on YouTube with stacks and stacks. I've got fuck all physical media left. You know, over the years I've sold it off to to pay off my gambling and drug debts. Um, so. <laughs> Uh, so, so I've um, I thought that's really annoying. So I can't do that one. So I scrubbed that off the list, and that gives me one left, which was Sonic Generations. Oh, that was uh, you weren't here, I think. But the three of us were talking before you arrived, and I said, "There's a Sonic game that's in the seventies that I think is really quite good," and it was that. Yeah, Steve, can I? It is a great game. Can I tuck one at you? You might have missed though. Yeah, go ahead. Because I'm pretty sure you said you like you love this game before, and it's on my shortlist. And I can again. I couldn't believe it. Sonic and Sega All Stars Racing. Is it on there? For me, the transformed one is where it's at. the The original one is shit. Well, it's, it's not vanilla. shit. It's, not. Alex. it's seven. The original one is seven. Yes, the racing transformed is nine. For me, I I actually prefer the mechanics in the uh, in the first one. I mean, because I, I was not a massive fan of the the flying sections. Always um always annoy me a bit. But I did not realise that that was. I'm going to look up now to make sure you're not um. I think going Rob's crazy leaving the room because there's three Xbox 360 games in this uh, episode. Oh, yeah, he's gone. <laughs> and he just left in us. Disgust. He could he could, pre- he could pretend that they're on PS3. It's fine. Except Lost Odyssey. It is, isn't it? It's 75. I don't know how I've missed that yeah. one. Sonic Generations is better. Don't don't swap <laughs> it out. Transformed is 82. Yeah, but it's a nine. That's wrong <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah, I do. I, both both <laughs> games should blatantly be ranked high. But you're, you're entirely right, Simon. I did manage to miss that one out. Um, through sitting here ruminating on it, I do kind of feel that Sonic Generations does need a, a shout. And the reason why I think it needs a shout is for um, what I came up with uh, writing uh, an article for, for our magazine, Sega Force Mega Issue 2, now on sale. Um, we uh, I was talking about the... Obviously, there's a um, remake coming out, or a reboot, or remaster, whatever you want to call it. Sorry. Yeah, there is, yeah. And... Um, it looks pretty good. They got um, including a new uh, campaign in it for for Shadow. Um, but what I was thinking at the time has been, I actually I, I was talking about this in one of the articles. There's um there's a trend now with recent Sonic games, probably since Mania, that we feel that we can trust Sega a bit more with it. Like they're not just churning out shit Sonic games; they're all decent. Mm-hmm. I mean, what have you had? You had Sonic Mania, you've had Sonic Frontiers, and Sonic Generations. Superstars. Generations, Superstar, sorry. Yeah. Um, and all of them, in different ways, have been very solid, good games. Um, I mean, no- nothing compared to the, 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 the problems of yore. Um, but the remakes have been quite consistently dodgy, shall we say? Just a bit lacklustre. Um... Uh, people complaining about Sonic Colors port recently. I think there's, 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 from from what I gather, I haven't, I don't actually purchase any, but it seems to be a lot of grumbling about the remasters. And certainly, what was uh, Sonic Origins was a was a disaster, yeah. wasn't it? Mm. Um, but I kind of predicted that maybe the Sonic Generations remaster can do for remasters what Sonic Generations did for Sonic games in general when it came out. Yeah. Because it right, really yeah. felt like if they didn't land that one, maybe it just wasn't fucking worth it. Because they were yep. it, it, the, the series was in such a terrible state. Not mm-hmm. only that, but it did it hit the nostalgia pangs correctly at a time when we we needed it. 
not like now or, or not maybe not now but in in re- recent years gone by when it was just like we've seen green hill zone a hundred times now already you know we, you, <laughs> you you can just you can do something this was you, the 99th time so it was all right yeah it was all right um no but it yeah so it hit those those uh, nostalgia pangs at the right time while also getting just getting so much right the um uh the 2d sections were a real breath of fresh air back then um and the 3d was done the best it had been probably since adventure um unquestionable i mean i haven't gone back and played it obviously because the fact i've just literally come up with it (laughs) while we've been here but i'm gonna sound like a broken record here but the best kind of broken record because this has had a 60 fps frame boost in 4k on xbox series x so no better time to go back and play it than now because it runs beautifully i'll give it a go yeah yeah no but i um i took went around the houses to get it but i'm uh i'm quite happy with that i um i also i don't think i've nominated well i know sonic generations i nominated for i keep saying generations superstars i nominated for game of the year but i had a very short list to, to, to choose from there uh, in <laughs> yeah. terms of what i'd actually played um not that i'm unhappy with that i think it's i think it's a really good game really solid game as i said on the pod um but this, I, other than that, uh, which I was kind of forced into, there's nothing that was going to come close for me that I had played that year. Um, I don't think I've nominated one since one of the very first pub pods, possibly the first one ever, when I, I went for Sonic the Hedgehog and um, uh, and Roy over there got in um, Sonic 2. That was that pod number one, one yeah. Episode one, one. Very first one. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so um, for that reason... I'm very happy to nominate Sonic Generations for the Video Game Hall of Fame. That's good. What do you think makes it a seven then? Why do you think it's got a seven? I think personally, it's from well, from memory and personal experience, it seemed like it got worse as it went on because they had to start including like Sonic 06 levels and stuff. But there's very little about it that I would think is bad. I remember it's starting stronger, but then that's kind of the way I feel about most Sonic games. Most Sonic mm. games, mm-hmm. the, the stronger levels are stacked towards the beginning. You'll get some in later levels, but maybe uh, uh, less um, as it goes, or fewer as it goes on. Um, but I don't know. I think maybe that low that lower score is because people had a predilection towards voting down any 3D Sonics. People just so down on Sonic, yeah. I think, that maybe... There always seemed to be a little bit of anti-Sonic bias, and maybe because it wasn't, it, it was an adopted mascot. It was a mascot for a for a company which had crumbled, you know. Um, mm. And you know, I th- I think that scores on Nintendo consoles always voted. Like, it's like talking about Sonic Ad- uh, Adventure Two on the on the GameCube being being yeah. voted that low. That was that wasn't um, uh, accurate um, or representation of what the game was. Um, so I think maybe there there might have been a bit of that. There always seemed to be a bit of a, an issue with Sonic in the media, more so than the the fans. Even and the fans are weird all over the place, you know. But um, <laughs> yeah. let, let's not talk about some of the darker aspects of the Sonic fandom. But um, yeah, it did seem like the uh, the media in general seemed to give it a bit more of a hard ride. So I think maybe Sonic generally had been of that era just voted down yeah. a bit more than was necessary perhaps mm. but I, I think it's great like, it, it came out and it was it was a shock to see like okay this is an actually really good sonic game 
that does the 3D stuff really well as well. In fact, some of them I prefer the 3D levels to the to the 2D style. Certainly the the earlier ones. It got that way with me as well. Yeah, I think first of all playing mm. this 2D was just that was the big wow moment. It's like yeah, we can do this yes. again. And then yeah. it's like, oh, but they've also got this right as well, and it's banging. And yeah, like I say, probably best since Adventure. I don't think anything came close. In fact, I probably that was the first time I touched a Sonic game since since Adventure and been really impressed by it and wanted to play it rather than just feeling like mm, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. I know that Sonic Unleashed. There was talk of the the Sonic sections in that people were quite high on but it was the werehog shit that people hated so sega obviously leaned further into that but then they still included levels from that game and then sonic 06 and i can't remember what the other one was like in this and i think that's from what i remember once they because they limited everything to like one level per game people were sort of saying well why why don't you have more sonic 2 and 3 and 1 stuff why why would you put sonic 06 levels in it like no one likes that or wants that so i think maybe that's what people thought was dragged it down but they, they at least put the levels in and then made them better than they were in the in their original yeah, guys 100 percent. yeah nothing wasn't improved upon in that respect what's the what's the shadow th- what is that in this remake by the way that article i read this morning and i was te- i was screenshotting bits to send to david because the thing about wuhan made me cry with like he <laughs> spat my cereal out can't believe you got away with putting that in there. Um, it's, not, it's not gone to print yet. I was going to say that's that brilliant. Um, yeah, but what is the, what is this shadow thing? I don't so understand as, what it is. As far as I can gather, it it just looks like it's going to be um, a, a whole new story mode um, with with Shadow in his own levels. Um, going back to it looks like some of the um, Sonic Adventure Two stuff is 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 in there. I I wasn't sure what the other stuff I was. It's, it's, I think when he's going down a corridor, that seemed very evocative of of of, of um, Adventure Two. Yeah, because they they can't make a whole thing about just Shadow the Hedgehog because it's just one game. Yeah, no, I think it'd be any other. I don't know any other appearances and and what have you. I, I have no idea. It, it hmm. looks like they're just doing the three D stuff. Though. They're not going to try and create a classic version of him by, by the looks of it. Unless um, he's going to be playable in it. And you can then play as Shadow in all the old Sonic levels. Maybe that's yeah. the gimmick. I don't know. It's very little to go on at the moment. No, he has got his own campaign, I think. Has he got his own campaign, has he? Okay. Interesting. Who was asking for that? Do you know what? There are a lot of Shadow fans out there, weirdly. Even though he's are in... They? Okay. Like, his game was pants. Oh, yeah. Little, little budding edgelords probably have nice memories yeah. of it. Well, it's it's probably to tie in with the movie as well, isn't it? Because uh, Sonic the Hedgehog oh, is he Three is going to be out in December, and um, and he's in that. So I see. There, well, that's that is probably it, why it's coming from. That is it. Yeah. Great choice, though. Surely we've all played this. I, I love it. I think it's brilliant. Like not not strictly speaking, because I did play Sonic Adventure One around a friend's house for for about four minutes. I ran around the little town square, but really. It, Sonic Generations was the first time I'd played 3D Sonic and I was quite impressed with it, yeah. I didn't finish it. I remember getting to the City Escape, the, the city that's kind of on fire and and like you said... Not City Escape, but I know yeah. the one you mean. That's from my Oh, yeah, no, Sk- City Not Escape the, the, the lorry. Chases, yeah. The lorry one. Is, lorry, yeah. yeah. From Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah. I remember, remember getting to the town that's on fire or something and... um the combination of some of the enemies in that being quite frustrating and me not having a clue what this was referencing, I kind of stopped. Yeah, I was 06. Yeah. That's why. 
Um, yeah. But it was great. It was really good. And it, I used, I love the the two D levels. The way they did the backgrounds, it kind of looks looks very deep, that very artistic. It yeah. does. So yeah, it's the sparse, really good. Yeah. yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad you picked that. That's a that's a good one. Great soundtrack as well. Like all the different remixes of all the songs, fucking slap. Like I'm a big fan of this game's soundtrack. I played it on 3DS. Oh, that game's got different levels in it. Oh, I recently it? rebought that on 3DS. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a really good game. Yes, it's a really good game. Well then, Steve. It took it took a long time, <laughs> but we got there in you the got end. There. Fucking hell. That's that's four. Four. I mean, I haven't played Lost Odyssey. I reckon I would like it, but that's four really solid games there. Uh, they are for one more time for you listening. If you have already somehow forgotten, and if you have, you might want to speak to your GP. Binary Domain, Days Gone, Lost Odyssey, and Sonic Generations. You need to go to at VG underscore HOF and vote right now for whichever one is your favourite. Let's talk about honourable mentions because I've got fucking lords. The first one I will bring up, I don't think many of you will have played, and is similar to what Steve was saying earlier, where I can only find a meta score for a re-release of it rather than its N64 original guys, but Doom 64, sitting at 76, that is a very underrated, brilliant Doom game that I think is probably better than most of the original Dooms at this point. Certainly now you can play it on a proper, you know, modern console with nice graphics and whatever, but Doom 64, I think fantastic. it's on Xbox Live, isn't it? On Xbox Live, whatever it's yeah, called. Yeah, that's um... the version that's got 76. Yeah. And Switch and all of that, yeah, it's on everything. But Doom 64 is awesome. Like, if you've never played that and you're a fan of Doom, do it right now. That's that's one of mine. I'm not going to go through all of mine in a row because I'll be talking for ages. Let's we'll, we'll bounce around and talk about some more. Who else has got honourable mentions? Uh, um, I could have gone for South Park Fractured Butthole <laughs> as a follow-up to doing the Stick of Truth on the last episode because that's 79. Which is um, deserved. I mean, we talked about it, talked about it last time. It's not as good as the Stick of Truth. I mean, that's a, a fact, but. It's still a really good game. It's fun. It's funny. Yeah, it was just not as good. No. So it was disappointing in that regard, but yeah, it didn't do anything fundamentally wrong. Simon, you got some? Yeah, I mean, I've got four left because I already, I already mentioned Quackshot and Sonic and Sega All-Stars Racing. Um, are we doing, mm-hmm. we doing kind of one at a time, are we? Bouncing around. Um, Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so one from a... I thought it would be a kind of 7 out of 10 series, but upon closer inspection, the first two Motor Storms got 8s. Um, ah, if you've ever played the, the like Motor Storm like games. Motorstorm. But the, the last mainline Motor Storm was Motor Storm Apocalypse, which kind of, they kind of had this crazy idea to race around cities as they were kind of falling into sinkholes and stuff um, and, and racing around kind of uh, natural disasters and that. And it was really cool and it had... It actually had a pretty cool storyline and it was just a really good spectacle racer and that's sitting on like 76 or something. Yeah. Um, so that was going to mm-hmm. be one of the ones that I, I considered. Like I like all the Motorstorm games, but probably Mo- but Apocalypse is probably my favourite and it's the kind of worst reviewed one. Probably just people getting tired of it by that point. But yeah. if you look at it, something like that now, far removed from when they're all coming out every couple of years, then that probably is the yeah. best one. Luigi's Mansion has 74. Oh, wow. That's a really? crime. Yeah. I'm, I am a proponent that the original Luigi's Mansion is, is the best one, but I don't know if people actually agree with that. It seems to be everyone seems to think it's the worst one, but I love the fact that you, you're fighting a different ghost like 
over and over again like there's loads of different ghosts that are dotted around the mansion whereas in later games it was more around mechanics but fighting the same ghosts over and over again but these ones all had like themes and puzzles to them and and it probably got shit on because it launched with the gamecube and everyone wanted mario instead so it, it was maybe a bit of a damp squib in that regard but luigi's mansion's fantastic a victim of circumstance a lot of these are i think yeah yeah bobby um, what else have I got? I would like to, uh, Hitman, the first Hitman, 79. The very first one. Yeah, the, the very one. first one. That surprises me as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think it's, I like the Hitman games. I think it's probably the worst of the Hitman games. I think they got better as they went on, but I still think it's better than a 79. Okay. I don't know if anybody disagrees with that. I, I, I've played... I think I still have Hitman 2. What's that, Silent Assassin? I just remember the feeling that they were a little bit janky at the time. They were almost great, but... Oh, I like I like them. I think they're really clever in the way that you... I, I, just, I, I, I think I've had a soft spot from since the moment they came out, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll, I'll swoop in with a Sega Saturn RPG, Shining the Holy Ark. Couldn't believe that was a 7 out of 10. Because <laughs> when you think it would have been mostly reviewed by official Sega magazines as well, it's like, what, what? <laughs> Yeah. Um, but that's a, a lovely game, that is. Yeah, you've long been a proponent of that. Yeah, it's kind of a um kind of a dungeon crawl, kind of a almost like the old kind of Ultima and that sort of thing. But a JRPG. Yeah. And it's really good. It's first person yeah, dungeon. Yeah, first crawler, person isn't it? dungeon crawl. Um with loads of exploring and uh, really cool turn based battles. Brilliant game. Loved it. Can't believe it's that like a seven seven odd out of ten. There's a game on the 3DS that mixes two of my favourite handheld franchises together, and I genuinely don't know why people think it's only a seven. I mean, it's a 79 in you know, in fairness. But Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright is the for me the best game in either of their series. Well, maybe not Phoenix Wright actually, but it's definitely the best Professor Layton game. Um, oh, I love the I Professor love that Layton game. games. Yeah, Professor Layton versus Phoenix Wright is awesome. It just it's such a great crossover of those two characters. And that's less than 80. 79, yeah. That doesn't seem right. That was very close for, to be in my pick. When I knew I couldn't have Parasite Eve, it was probably Doom 64 Layton or Binary Domain. I've only got one more. Oh, I've got loads. <laughs> um Pokémon Scarlet and Violet, which is the most recent Pokémon game. 71. The the open worldy ones, the ones that were, didn't work, yeah, yeah. It's the most recent one. You say it didn't work. I mean, I played. I'm, I'm ashamed to say this. I put something like 150 hours into it. Wow, I didn't realize. There's no that. shame here, Rob. Didn't even know you played. <laughs> no, I put about 150 hours into it. I completed. I completed the game. I completed the Pokedex, getting all 400 of them, so I could get the shiny charm. And then I spent hours and hours doing shiny hunting. EV training things up so I could use them in raid battles, doing all of that. I spent about 150 hours on it and I didn't come across any problems, despite everybody saying that it's broken. Um, but yes, I think that's good 71 and I think that's largely down a bit like talking about Days Gone, about the fact that when it was reviewed, there was a lot of people saying that there was a lot of bugs. Mm. But um, I really enjoyed it. It's like I've, I've talked about DLC in the past, saying I'm not a huge fan of DLC, but I've been so tempted to buy the the DLC for that game, but again, I mean, I've got so many games to play, I, I don't know when I'd get around to doing it. But yeah, that's my last, I didn't pick it because it wouldn't win, but that's my last honourable mention. I got two more. Um, one thing I will say is every, every game I've mentioned so far, it's been a 
that's never a 7 out of 10. Um, my last two honourable mentions, I do agree that they're 7 out of 10s, but they've both got something really cool about them. Um, one is another uh, Saturn kind of RPG adventure called Dark Saviour, which I know is a really kind of obscure one that I'd like to pick up for Sega Force Mega at some point. But it's me. Who's pitching on the pod? Nice. Well, <laughs> great. Hustle. It's made uh, made by the same guys who made like a Land Stalker. Um, but it's a really oh yeah, yeah really yeah. odd RPG that's got a bit. It's kind of a one on one fighter, kind of a platform game, kind of an RPG. It's got loads of. It's got about five different story branches that all they all branch from the same point, which is really early on, and um, it's just odd but in a really good way and it is a 7 out of 10 because it's so clunky but it's unique there's nothing like it is that Climax Entertainment yeah that's right yeah, 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 yeah. what a name well Climax Entertainment I um I, I was listening to another podcast uh that had an episode about 7 out of 10s and uh, they mentioned that oh really Dark Savior interesting yeah um, and another one that it's kind of from the same era but completely different um is uh, the original, well, it's not the original in the series, is it? But Hexen. Oh, I love Hexen. Yeah. So to to those not in the know, Hexen's kind of a first person shooter that came out in the same sort of era as Duke Nukem and Quake and and uh, Doom Two, I guess. Yeah. And all of those were getting rave reviews, and Hexen was kind of the the one that was getting seven out of tens. But it it was it had a fantasy setting, and um, yeah, it's like Doom with spells. Yeah. And you had kind of range. You got you had kind of swords and axes and stuff. But that if you had magic ammo, uh, they would shoot ranged effects. But then if you ran out of uh, ammo, or whatever, you could just use them in melee. And that was really good, amazing atmosphere, um, really cool music. And but yeah. it is at a seven out of ten. Like the the lev- a lot of the levels were just annoying mazes. Um, They're so confusing. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it was quite clunky, but it's one of those games that there was something about it. It just had this eerie vibe. Um, yeah. Lots of, like, you know, dark, like, de- desecrated monasteries with ghostly monks floating about and stuff. But but in that kind, yeah. of, in that kind of late 90s style of being more colourful than you'd expect if I described that setting. A lot of greens and purples, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, Hexen was a definitely a 7 out of 10, but... a I, I, a very yeah. very good one. I remember it. I remember actually reading the N sixty four magazine review of it, and they basically said like the PC Hexen is great, N sixty four Hexen is shit. So maybe it ported badly from PC to a couple of consoles. I played it on Saturn, but I, I I'm pretty like this is it a while ago. I I amassed this list, but I'm pretty sure I checked PC, and I don't think it reviewed that well on PC either. I think it okay. was. It's the sequel to something called Heretic. Which I have never played. I get did that review well or not? I don't know. I don't know. I didn't. I didn't look mm. that deep in. Hexen's banging. Right. I'm going to smash through the the last of my honourable mentions, yeah. and then we'll before, get on to before we get on to Shagger's corner. Yeah. Before we go to Shagger's corner. Right. Uh, the 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 modern prey, not the original Xbox 361, but the one from Arcane Studios that came out on like PS4, Xbox One is 79 Metacritic. That is definitely a 7 out of 10. Great atmosphere. Cool story. Nice twists at the end. I enjoyed the gameplay of that. Uh, I think that's really underrated. Mafia 2. 
I'm a huge fan of Mafia 2. I think it had a quite a bad remaster in the last few years, which is a shame because I was quite looking forward to playing that again. I think I talk, talked about this on the open world episode that I love the fact that Mafia has its open world as more of like a backdrop or a movie set for the game rather than a massive open world that you just sort of go around causing chaos in over and over again it just it's just a scene setting device that you can drive through and admire um, i really like the story in mafia 2 that was excellent so i guess kind of similar to that is sniper elite 4 has anyone here played any of the sniper elite games no. no, one of them was added on to PlayStation Plus, and that's the one it was I, one of those things that you was that what what it was. Yeah, and it's one of those instances where you stick it in your library and think, oh, maybe I'll I'll give that a try and yeah. just never do. That's exactly how I felt, and then I, I oh, thought, you know what, I'm going to give that a go, and then I got to pop guys' testicles with in slow motion X-ray cameras. It's um, Sniper Elite games are pretty good. The latest one I wasn't a fan of, but four is is a good seven out of ten. Um, <laughs> At the end of the last episode, I'm pretty sure I talked about the Transformers, War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron games, so I'm just re-talking about them now. They are awesome. Again, third-person shootery, Gears of War-style things, but you can also fly and turn into cars and stuff. Probably the best Transformers games that has ever existed. Stranglehold, Xbox 360. I think don't think it came out on PS3, but that's like... It's got Chow Yun-Fat in it. It was directed by John Woo. I think it was just on PC and Xbox. Um... I could be wrong, but it's basically Max Payne, but set in like Hong Kong with Hong Kong action cinema vibes to it. It's a lot more arcadey and straight sort of linear than a Max Payne game, but really just really good fun. I played it recently on because it's on uh, good old games, GOG for PC um, still holds up. It's really good fun. I was just going to say for for the Robs out there, £2.50 on PS3 uh, in CEX Stranglehold. Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, okay. I thought I thought I'd seen it on PS3. Yeah. Oh, nice. Okay, that's interesting. Um, Evil Within Two. I know I've played both the Evil Within games. The first one probably has a higher score, but I found lots of issues with the first one. Although it has probably got a better atmosphere, the second game is just a much more enjoyable horror experience. Less of its bullshit, wacky one-hit kill stalkery stuff and more just like a a wider area to explore more of like a silent hill vibe i think for that one um attack on titan i don't know if people even like attack on titan the anime anymore but i did like the anime at one point in time quite a lot and the game is very repetitive very short but flying around on those little zip pack things that they have and slicing the back of a big titan's neck was perfect if you'd watch the anime and you wanted to know what that would feel like in a game, they nailed it. They just didn't have anything else. They just did it over and over and over again. And the last one I have is The Surge 2, which is like a, a Souls-like setting, sort of like a dystopian robotic future where it has a cool mechanic where it's very similar to Dark Souls. You have bosses, you have things that you collect off of enemies, and then you, if you die, they get left where you die. You've got to go back and pick them up again. Very difficult game, but... If you kept attacking a certain type of enemy's leg enough times, eventually you would be able to make armor that was of that like enemy's leg or arm or chest or whatever. Um, didn't do anything massively amazing. It's obviously nowhere near as good as a Dark Souls or Bloodborne, but out of the Souls like Boom, that was one of the real highlights. The Surge too. 
<sighs> and that's Can I throw one more out there? Please do. True Crime Streets of LA on the PS2. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, I love that. I talked about Days Gone being pure fun, and I think that was very much the same. Just thought I'd mention it. Nice. There we go. I really, yeah, I really like this this category that we had. I found loads of games in there that I remembered fondly as being, you know, great, but not incredible and not all-timers. So, time is pressing. I suppose we've only got one thing left to do, and that is to just have a quick look in the email box. And, oh, what do we have here? A shagger appeared yesterday, so that was lucky. Considering we hadn't actually done the previous episode until today, it's not like he's responding to that. So this was just off his own back. Probably got bored waiting. Um, So the subject of the email is Alan's hairy sack is always on my mind, which is accurate, I suppose in all, in all, I mean, he can tell me the accuracy of the last part, but the, the first half of that is very accurate. This is a long one as well, right? Okay. Holy shit. Hello, Alan. How is you, Alan? I like you, Alan. You has a, you has a very sexy voice. Um, sexier now because i'm just coming back off a cold so you're probably enjoying this even more somebody get him a towel ready i likes it when you read my emails alan can we meet alan (laughs) i've bought a new tent it is a bigger one it is blue with bits of orange and i gets it from go outdoors for 49.99 alan he's putting in he's coming up he's putting money out of his own pocket here uh i puts it on the top of the really good hill just for me and you if you would come and see me alan Imagine if in one of these emails he just puts his actual address and, and it's like, no, seriously, come and, come and have a look. I was telling my friend Peter... I'd, mm, You'd have to I'd, go. I'd maybe have a look on like Google Maps on the satellite view and just see if there's any like tyre fires or anything nearby <laughs> to like scope out the area. Just like scorch marks outside his house. Um, I was telling my friend Peter Peter Pigeon Eater all about you, Alan. He says he'd like to meet you too. Sounds like again, it sounds like one of Rob's mates. Uh I am still sad about the girl with a face too big for her head, Alan. I thought we had something special, but she let Stevie put his dick in her face. <laughs> Makes me sad. But I hear that Stevie's been banned from Ryanair for sleep wanking, so that made me happy. <laughs> uh, I goes out with the German girl that Brucey sets me up with. I'm still very suspicious of her, Alan. We goes out for some food. I decide to treat her nice and posh, so we goes to Nando's. I'm nervous I might be out with an actual Nazi in a public place, so I tests her. I ask her what her favourite Aces of Bases song is, Alan. She says she doesn't know any. Suspicious. I try to... <laughs> I don't even know if I can read this. I then tries to catch her out by asking her if she likes Jews. Then, then I ask her what her favourite colour is. Then I ask her why she invaded Poland in 1939. <laughs> she laughs at me and tells me that I am funny, Alan. <laughs> she asks if I want to go back to her place to watch a movie. She says I can pick which movie, Alan. I put on Inglorious Bastards <laughs> to see what she cheers, what side she cheers for. <laughs> We have a drink and watch a bit of the movie, but then she kisses me, Alan, and asks me if I want to go to bed with her. 
We goes to her bedroom. We gets into bed. She turns the light off, but I tell her she must put it back on. I need to check she has not got any swastika tattoos. <laughs> oh, God. She laughs, but I am serious, Alan. I, ref- <laughs> I refuse to penetrate a Nazi. <laughs> we leave the light on and we kiss us and our clothes, clothes come off, Alan. Then I seize it. I'm horrified, Alan. All the proof I could ever need. Uh, her, p- <laughs> her pubes are shaved into the exact shape of Hitler's moustache. <laughs> she could be a Charlie Chaplin fan. You don't know. I am out of there. That was a close shave, Alan. I, fi- <laughs> I finished this myself off when I get home. Mum helps too. I uh, meet my friend Gary the next day and we goes to the fair. We bumps into a girly nose, Alan. He introduces her to me. I ask if she is a Nazi and she says no and laughs at me. She says we went to school together. I don't remember her at all, Alan. We say bye, and then Gary tells me that she was in our year at school. She's called Michelle. <clears throat> I find her on Facebook and sends her a friend request. She accepts it, Alan. I send her a message asking if she would like to go out for a drink and a pie sometime, Alan. I tell her I has a tent. She replies, telling me to go fuck myself, Alan. She said when we was at school, we call her... <laughs> Mish Elephant, <laughs> because she was fat. <laughs> I then remembers her. I don't know it was her. Looks like Michelle Elephant's never forgot that, Alan. I has a poem. I has written a poem. I would like to enter into your poem competition. It's things that I do not like, Alan. I definitely do not like. Evil aliens from outer space. Gordon Ramsay's wrinkly face. Alan not wanting to see me or be my friend. The homeless man who always asks me to suck his bell end. Fucking Nazis. Cornish pasties. Again, Nazis, maybe if I had said it with a northern accent, it would have worked. The Third Reich. Simon Pike. <laughs> <laughs> the girl with a face too big for her head she seems like everyone has been in her bed she sucked my friend's dick when I was out of sight my girlfriend was a communal fleshlight <laughs> love you the shagger <laughs> oh Simon I don't know why that's in there I tell you shagger Simon's been laughing at all your jokes I think you should re- I think next po- uh, poem should be an apology to Simon that's 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 out of order mate <laughs> I'm putting off meeting you for at least another email. It must be quite that. magical having your, your name rhymed with the Third Reich for, I imagine, <laughs> the first time in your life. Yeah, you've not you've not thought about that before, but unfortunately, there we are. Yeah, there we go. The, the <sighs> name-calling kids at my school weren't that imaginative. <laughs> no. Oh, what have I got? Alex Aldridge, the Kwai River Bridge. I don't know. No idea. <clears throat> I think I'm okay. Wow. That was an emotional roller coaster. Tune in next episode for more Shaggers Corner. I mean fundamentally it's you know it's prejudice against Nazis, but there's a there's a little bit of um <laughs> German based racism in there. Maybe maybe you might have to kinda use some sonic ring collect noises or something and let people oh, fill I in just... the blanks. <laughs> I think we'll just have to say that people can make their own minds up about what's what's the tone of that email. I just read it. I'm just the messenger. We neither condone nor what's the opposite of that? Support. Promote. No. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Right. Any more for any more? After that, any any thoughts? How can we top how can we top that? I think we need to go and lie down now. Certainly puts the surge two in perspective, doesn't it?
What a life. Shag is not a 7 out of 10. That email wasn't a 7 out of 10. Absolutely not. I'd love to know why the pit. I mean, I suspect I know why the pigeon eater guy is called <laughs> whatever he was called, but I'd like to know yeah. more about him. I think he does what he says, what it says he does on the tin. What's the next category, O Master of Categories? Good question. <laughs> I mean, that is definitely you because I forget every time. Next time, we are doing what we did for our random year generator, which those of you who may have heard. The original podcast where we did this, you would have heard us say 1992 games came up randomly. But we looked at 1992 and realised we'd already nominated and inducted quite a lot of the best ones. So we did another roll and it came up with 1996 games. Doesn't matter. No rules other than that. Just it had to come out in 1996 anywhere in the mm, first. Had to come out in 1996 first. Not later. Not a 1995 game in Japan that then came out in England in 96. It came out first in the world wherever it came out in 1996. That's the only rule. But that's next time. If you want to send us an email about pubic formations in the shape of... Celebrity facial hair. Vladimir Putin's face or whatever, go for it. That you can do by emailing videogamehof at gmail.com. Or... As I said earlier on, you should be on the Twitter at VG, VG underscore HOF to vote for binary domain. They've gone to sort of some generations. Thank you very much for listening. <laughs> <laughs> and thanks everybody for being on the pod. Until next time for 1996 Games, goodbye. <laughs>